You are listening to Nothing is Magical because Everything is Magical. I am Jaime. I'm Nate. And today we're talking about simulation theory. So, Nate, what are some arguments? What do you think are the best arguments for simulation theory? Yeah, well, first, I just want to like touch on like what is simulation theory. So, I think. Yeah, that's probably important. I forgot about that. The easiest kind of starting point, I would say, is just The Matrix. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with that movie and the concepts. But yeah, it's basically just that we could be living in a simulation right now. Like, okay, yeah, that sounds simple. But like, as we get into this, we're going to see just how much of a kind of like brain fuck this is going to be. But um yeah so my first like argument for uh for simulation theory is this probability argument that i saw neil degrasse tyson bring up and basically it's that if we are a society that has the capacity to kind of make simulations then that simulation has the capacity to do the same then it just becomes this like never-ending cycle of simulations and what that tells us is that there's probably going to be way more simulated realities than the actual like singular true reality so just like based off of probability we're probably in a simulation because of that so i think that's one argument that i like really buy into what about you yeah, and I think to touch on that argument a little bit more, the argument is more valid, especially in our current landscape, because we've made simulations. Like, we are able to make simulations, and an example of that would be just like Sims, like the video game Sims, and even just video games in general. We are able to create AI within those games. Now, are they self conscious? Most likely not, or probably most definitely not. But at the rate of which technology is improving, that seem it seems that that could very well be a case in the future. And also in 2015, uh, researchers digitally recreated parts of a rat's brain. So as t- again technology increases, then it makes sense that they'll be able to replicate digitally replicate more parts of a brain. And as we understand it, consciousness is generated from the brain. And if that's true, then they'll be able to make virtual simulations. And I think an interesting idea regarding simulation theory is called the Fermi effect. Have you heard about that? No, I haven't. So it's it's this idea, it's 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 an explanation for why we haven't found intelligent life yet because it doesn't make sense like the the rate at which humans have become an advanced civilization compared to like the beginning of the universe is a huge gap of time so it's if there's intelligent life then they should have developed like before human beings became an advanced civilization because there's been so much time and it's taken so little time for humans to become this advanced so one explanation for why we haven't found aliens is because 
they've either escaped the matrix or it, like escaped this universe. So they're just absent because they become so advanced and humans are just late to the party or they are escaping like into a re virtual reality. Like they escaped even deeper into a virtual reality. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. I actually, I haven't heard that, but I, I do buy into that a little bit actually. So I know that, uh, so I have a couple points with this but I know that you wanted to touch on a little bit about observer theory or observation theory. So what do you have to tell us about that quick before I get into like my points about it? Okay. Um, yeah. So the observational theory is if the premise of it is that the world is generated like based on your perception. So as you perceive things, the world is created sort of like in Minecraft, as you move through the world, the world sort of generates in front of you. It doesn't exist before you're there. It only exists when you approach it. And that's to save processing power if we were in a simulation. And that's pretty much observation theory. Yeah. What do you have to say about? Yeah, so I have like a, a interesting case, interesting argument to like kind of support this. So there's uh, the double split experiment. So basically when scientists go to split an electron and they kind of look at its, look at the aftermath, it's, its behavior is different than if they actually kind of put it under a microscope. So it quite literally like changes how it behaves once it's observed. And this kind of just like goes to that um, theory that once we're kind of looking at stuff it our yeah like a like a game like minecraft it's procedurally generated so this is this effect is something that can only happen when it's observed and that really just suggests like you said that maybe the reason for this happening is because it's like this um attempt to like save that computing power yeah yeah quantum theory in itself is really reality shattering and i wouldn't be surprised if it supported simulation theory and i'm curious to hear do you think there's any ethical implications if we're in a simulation like what would that mean for human ethics yeah i think that's that's a big question so i think the the first thing that like pops out to me is like if we are in a simulated reality, then do these like simulated beings deserve the same level of like treatment that we like want to give to people that we don't perceive to be simulated? So in other words, like these, if these people are simulated, but they're also indistinguishable, like what separates them really from being real people other than like our knowledge of them not being real people. So I think that that's a big ethical question, kind of how do we, how, yeah, how do we even wrap our heads around that? Yeah, I imagine it'd be like if you played Grand Theft Auto and the people like actually felt pain <laughs> like that would definitely, that would totally change how you play the game. Like if you could like actually acknowledge it those people that you were just like plowing through with a car like 
in the Grand Theft Auto game were like had feeling and were, um, yeah, they had feelings like they were cog like cognizant. Then that would totally change how you play the game. Yeah, and that's definitely like something we don't want to believe because like obviously we don't want that to be true because that would make us in a lot of ways like awful people like not just for grand theft auto but yeah if we it would it would give us like no excuse for kind of how we behave and this this simulated reality really kind of draws me into this area of like ai i think these the idea of uh, simulated people that are indistinguishable kind of relates to the artificial intelligences that have like been progressing over the last couple of years. And like, if, if robots or something became self-aware, like, do they deserve the same level of respect as humans? I think that question really kind of parallels this ethical question regarding uh, simulated realities too. Yeah, it, it's also a, a very philosophical argument about ethics and it sort of reminds me of like utilitarianism where if something you feel pleasure or pain, then it automatically deserves uh, recognition within ethics. like if a because human beings feel pleasure and pain and we usually treat human beings with some level of respect but so do cats and dogs and in mm -hmm. our there's there's ethical like we have ethics regarding dogs you can't just go up and kick a dog that's usually pretty frowned upon so i think at least in my opinion like if a robot could feel pleasure or pain, then it would deserve like recognition, like it would deserve um, to have ethics. But it, it's also like, how would you know if a robot had pleasure or pain? Yeah, I think that's, that's a big question. And it's something that we even look at with like, like living things too. Like when you look at animals in a lot of ways they behave like robots, how we normally think of robots anyway, just based off of like their instincts and stuff. And um, yeah, the, the morals behind that are really interesting. I think in, in a lot of ways it's hard to tell if animals even do things out of pleasure or pain if they behave in pursuit of like their own goals or because it's like programmed into them. And I think kind of separating that uh, why they do things, if it's because they want to, or if it's because they're programmed kind of creates this uh, really kind of big difference in how we should treat them. And I think the same thing applies to robots, but I, I do think with robots, it would be more along the lines of like they're programmed, obviously. I don't know, I don't really know, like maybe we can program some type of preference or at least some type of like, um, like uh, artificial preference. Maybe it's just like randomized and then they like adjust to that. But at some point, even with that, it would be indistinguishable 
than our own sort of preferences and pleasures and pains as people. And I think at that point, like, you do have to show them that same level of respect and treat them as you would another person. Yeah. Yeah, do you think AI could sort of like create an artificial reality, like a, a simulated reality? Like if we have powerful enough AI that the AI itself could just become reality? Yeah, I think I think that's possible. I think if we're if we're gonna like operate under the premise that like one simulated reality can make another simulated reality and like if we can make AI that that can probably make their own simulated realities then too. And yeah, and that AI could probably go ahead and make its own AI too. I think a lot of uh artificial intelligences are like learning they're actively kind of going through the trial and error process to kind of accumulate this data that they then use this artificial learning is like present in a lot of different things um the example that i like to use and think back to is like just some some programmer made some ai that was just going through mario and the only different like commands that AI could enter into the game was like move forward, move backwards and jump. And that's like, like just about all you can do with Mario really. It's fun, but it's not, it's not too complicated, at least the older versions. But yeah, eventually this AI would use machine learning and be able to uh, complete the whole game just by trial and error. So it, it eventually, it, uh, kind of bounces around a little moving forward and backward doesn't know quite how to react and I would like compare this to like uh, like a baby deer once that deer is first born it like doesn't or baby anything really you don't know how to use your own body you're like so unfamiliar with it because it's your kind of first experience with it so I imagine like this deer that's trying to figure out how to use its legs it doesn't know how to walk or stand yet and in a lot of ways this uh, machine learning playing mario is the same sort of thing it's gonna be doing stuff that is not necessarily good or bad it's not like like dying in the game it's not uh moving on to the next level it's just kind of walking back and forth trying to figure out what to do with itself but eventually it's it's going to get to that point where it kind of can move forward and progress through those levels and like even eventually being able to remember all of that stuff and do it perfectly. So by the time it beats the game once, it can go back through the game again and on that second playthrough, probably beat it all like flawlessly. Yeah. I, I, hear, I heard one time about this AI and at the beginning of the AI, it took, a certain amount of time, I think like seven gameplays or something like that to beat this world ch uh, chess champion. And the AI was programmed to be good at chess. And how the AI got good was it just played against itself like, like hundreds of thousands of times. And 
eventually got so good that it beat every single world record, like all the best chess players in the world. And then it got to a point point where it played like seven of them at the same time. And it was beating every single one of them with like just because of the sheer computing power and like how advanced it had become at chess. It was just whooping their asses all at the same time. Yeah, actually, I saw I saw a video of kind of like this uh, like social experiment almost that was kind of doing the same thing. So this guy was playing a bunch of world chess champions at different times, but uh, he was playing them all at the same time. I think he was playing seven, just like you said, for the AI. And what he was doing was like remembering the moves that the other person was using and then using them against the other people that he was playing. So basically, he was copying them. He didn't know anything about chess, but he won half of those games against world chess champions because he was kind of learning from their moves, copying their moves, really. And really, in a sense, those people were just playing each other, and he was the middleman and kind of taking credit for it. But, yeah, I mean, this just illustrates, like, how much – goes how much power there is like behind machine learning like this is something a guy did and pulled off this like cool little trick and it was fun to see at the end once you tell the world chess champions like afterwards and they're thinking like how did this guy that doesn't play chess beat me and and it's funny to see at the end but the the machine that does it does it even faster and it doesn't need to play these these chess champions it just learns against itself gets better playing itself and then eventually surpasses those chess champions just on its own. And this is just the ability of machine learning. You know, it can compute all these chess games, probably doing a bunch of them at once even, and can really just pick things up quicker. And that's why to go a little bit back to your question before, I do think AI can kind of simulate its own reality if it wanted to, if it's going to pick up enough stuff. Once we can make an AI that kind of has that capacity, it will definitely reach that capacity. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. To get into AI and machine learning, what's interesting about that, and this is totally off topic from simulation theory, but I'm just gonna go into AI. I'm sure it'll tie back in somehow. <laughs> somehow, I hope so. Uh, Elon Musk was talking about how AI doesn't, the dangers of AI is that it doesn't use logic. like. It doesn't, it uses logic, but not in what humans think is logic. So if you told AI to get rid of all spam, it might just kill everybody. Cause like AI doesn't really understand that that's not okay, that that's not a cool thing to do. So that is, and especially what's scary about AI is that it's starting to like, it's definitely gonna become weaponized it's sort of like the new like n- arms race. Cause 
once whoever has that power first is going to be fucking like unstoppable because it's just going to grow exponentially and yeah i don't even think that the person who has it will be able to contain it yeah i don't i don't think so either i mean yeah that's just a crazy thought i mean even with simulation theory is a crazy thought on its own but to to kind of consider that that ideas like the matrix and these like uh, apocalyptic robot movies actually have some merit is is a scary kind of idea especially like like seeing them in, seeing them in movies is one thing but like there's real technology nowadays that's like suggesting this is going to be possible and possible pretty soon which is the crazy part yeah I don't know. I haven't seen anything regarding AI other than the Terminator, to my knowledge. And I feel like Terminator is a, like, AI would stomp human beings. Like, there is no shot, you know? There's not going to be, like, robot soldiers. I, I, I don't know. I feel like human beings would even stand a chance. Yeah, but, I agree Especially, I feel like actually kind of um, the AI's like inability to work on emotions, like you said, their logic isn't the same of our, as ours. It gives us, or it gives them an advantage. And that like moral aspect that we have as humans is like a huge handicap if we go into like a human versus AI war. We're, we're totally bound by that. And it's going to end up kind of, being our fault almost I would think yeah I mean it's also kind of confusing I don't I don't know how this would work but it sort of seems like emotions are the root of motivation so I don't I don't know why like I couldn't see what would motivate an AI to destroy the human race or really to do anything unless a human being programs it. Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. Cause if, like you said, if it was trying to destroy the human race, it would probably be to solve some human race that the, or solve some problem that the human race created for itself. So in an attempt to prevent, like, us from, like, destroying ourselves almost, they just destroy us. So in, like, that way, it's kind of inevitable. But, yeah, that's a crazy thought. Yeah. Yeah, how do you feel? Like, if we were in a simulated reality, how would you... Oh yeah, actually, this is a this is something I want to touch on. I think a lot of people kind of like look at the Matrix movie and they're like, oh, like, oh shit, this is like so bad. Like, I don't want to be in this simulated reality. But I think like in a lot of ways, like the simulated reality might be better than actual reality. And like, why would you, like if you had a simulated reality that was just a, a little chunk of heaven it was like everything you wanted and it was fake and then 
you would like probably have no awareness of it being fake. Why would you not want to take that? I guess, yeah. I guess for me, like the whole um, premise of the matrix is like, people want to know the truth, but like, like in, I would say like, like really like you wouldn't want to know the truth. It makes for a good plot for the movie, but like what logical person would choose that? I don't know. That's just what I think. Yeah, that actually ties a lot into a philosopher named David Hume. He was a, I'm pretty sure 18th century Scottish philosopher, but his, a big thing of his philosophy was that he thought that the rational mind was a slave and a function to the emotional mind, which is supported by science like the the prefrontal cortex the, the rational part of the brain is definitely a servant to the like brain stem and then the lower like regions of the brain beyond like the more primitive regions of the brain because and it only lives to serve like to create positive emotions and to to serve those parts of the brain so that's where I think it's sort of like if you choose to like for truth, then you just have a you you're confused about what you are as a human being, because human beings, not like we're driven by emotions. So if you can get the most out of your emotions, then that's the path to go, instead of like oh I want truth I want this hyper rational thing, because we're we're human beings like any there, you can't even I I. And this gets into another uh, paradox, another whole pigeonhole. But it, I, I feel like you can't know any full truth because we're human beings. We're limited by our brains, by our our own cognition. You could only ever see through your piece of the glass. Yeah, and I like I like that. What I like about that is it's you said it much better than I did. I didn't want to like say like. Um, I opt for ignorance. Ignorance is bliss, and I would rather that than truth. I because I wouldn't. I like truth, really. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I think it's it's not such a such a simple thing. Like it's it's what I want. I want the truth, so that's what I'm gonna do. Because like we are wired to kind of chase our pleasures, and like even if you want to say like you're gonna you're gonna take that. Um, harsh truth versus that kind of um, blissful ignorance. I think most people would take that blissful ignorance and they're not, they're going to do it not really because they want to, but that's just how we're wired. I think. Yeah. I feel like, like to deny that and to try and say like that's beneath you or like, to try and reduce the emotional aspect of it would be like to be like oh pooping is beneath me you know like peeing is <laughs> like I don't need to do that like I'm I'm this hyper intellectual person yeah um, we like to we like to think of ourselves as like these like great beings that's why 
ideas like simulation theory and AI are so fun to talk about because we're kind of uh, looking for these answers and want to put all this stuff beneath us. But really, it's it's not something we can totally control. So I was mentioning to you earlier before the podcast, kind of the idea of us living in a simulation is like more comfortable than admitting that our reality kind of doesn't have any purpose. So it's a little, little off topic, but I think that goes with sort of this idea that we want to see things as beneath us. I think having stuff like that gives us this sense of purpose and I'll loop this back to the, to the um, video game. Like if Mario was, you know, in a game without Bowser, he would have no um, real purpose. He's not a hero anymore without that kind of bad guy to overcome. And I think in a lot of ways, like we as people look for these, we look for problems almost. Why? Like, it sounds like, why would you want to look for problems? So that we can solve them. And then we become sort of the heroes of our kind of story. It gives us purpose. And I think in a lot of ways, this uh, idea of simulation theory is is like that, which is a scary thought because like, I don't even like, it's scary to think we're in a simulation, but it's also scary to think that that being in a simulation would also be better than this purposeless reality that like we very mel- very well might be in. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's an interesting idea. And that does sort of seem true on an emotional level. Like the drive for purpose is so powerful and it, it does seem like we're, we're going after problems and there is sort of like this inherent pleasure and having problems and having difficulties because it's just what it's just what we are wired to do it's sort of like if you had a machine and like there's these gate operators that my dad works on and the gate the machine opens the arms go like this right mm-hmm. so if you were to hold that machine back it would like break and you would think like oh that that machine is straining itself you know it's moving this really heavy gate back and forth why don't we just let this machine rest and have pleasure and do this but it's that's not its natural function you know it's yeah it's made to open and close that's really interesting actually yeah and even like with ants and this is actually a quote from marcus aurelius he talks about it somewhat, but he, he says, like, like, look at everything else doing its work. Like, the ants are doing their work. The bees are doing their work. The birds are doing their work tirelessly. Like, why can't I do a human being's work? Like, am I, am I beyond doing a human being's work? And that's where I think, like, the drive for purpose is. It's just, like, we're, we're wired for the monotony of it. We're wired for problems. Do you think that thought should be comforting or does that kind of scare you really? 
that were wired for problems. Yeah. I think. Is that something we should like accept or is that kind of just like this, like bad fate that we're a part of? It's just innate with us. I think we have to accept it. I mean, I feel like it's like, we, it doesn't really matter if we accept it because it's sort of like anything we do, it's sort of like motion or time. Like it just moves forward. Like there is no avoiding a problem. Even if you say got all the pleasure, even if you killed yourself, that's still a solution to a problem in that there's meaninglessness or you have nothing to live for. And if you have, yeah, I feel like even if you have everything and say you're this rich person and you don't have problems, then it's sort of like you don't even exist really. You're not like, like you're not sentient, I guess, because any sentient thing, like pooping is a problem. It's uncomfortable to need to poop, so you have to solve that problem. Drinking is a problem, eating is a problem. Yeah, and these are problems that like make us human in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that if if we had this miracle drug, it's sort of like enlightenment. Like if we had this miracle drug or something that just solved all our problems, then it, it just seems like like that would just be death. There would be nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I totally get you. I was thinking about this, uh, like if we were like immortal, if we had all the time in the world to kind of do everything and experience every possible thing in life, then that would kind of like effectively make our lives like pointless under the assumption yeah. it wasn't before, but like whatever with that, that's beside the point. But if we're kind of doing everything and we're not operating on this timeline, it, it like, it sounds good. Like, yeah, it takes away our sense of urgency to do stuff, but also it makes things like not unique anymore. And I think that, yeah, if we were to live forever, it would really kind of just undermine the value of what we have because we would be able to do everything. And it's, it's a little like weird the way that I think about it, but I think almost it's good that we have this finite existence. And I think, yeah, it's, it's just good that things are kind of um, balanced out, you know? You know, it's funny. Mm. This totally just reminds and it seems like it's off topic, but I don't think it is. So it's sort of like with what you were talking about, like say for if you're an immortal being, if you're an immortal being, you would have an infinite amount of choices, right? Because you, like you said, you'd be able to experience everything. And if you were a finite being, then you have less choices because you have less time to experience things. There's this girl I listen to. She's like, her name is Lori DeSantos. I'm pretty sure she's a professor at uh, Harvard and she studies like happiness, like um, 
she's a psychologist. She studies happiness. And one of her podcasts, she talks about how choice is detrimental to mental health. Like the more choices you have, the more drained you feel, the more depressed you feel, you never really feel happy. You always feel like you made the wrong choice, even if you made the right one. And that just reminds me of like being an immortal being. It's sort of like we think of freedom and as having everything. And if you're an immortal being and you have everything and you have all these choices and all this freedom, then you'd probably be miserable and like not appreciate anything versus if you're this finite, frail, small being only had a certain amount of choices, then life would be magical and profound and like exciting. It would be filled with emotions. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting take. I don't think this is what she's trying to say, or I don't think this is what you're trying to say either, but it almost, like, it makes me think of, like, happiness just being this way to kind of minimize our pain almost. Mm. Yeah, so you think it's like a... Well, just like what she said with the choices, kind of like the more options that we have kind of the more unhappy we get so if we had those if we had less options we had less choices to make we would just be like minimizing that pain we're we're real off subject though (laughs) i was just about to go into this like what is pleasure what is pain what is happiness we don't need to go there but (laughs) yeah (laughs) No, nah, I think it's all good, man. I, um, yeah, I'm this is a vibe, though. We went through yeah. uh, simulation theory, AI, all sorts of stuff tonight. This this was definitely kind of just going off the rails this episode. That's what it was all about. But I think we should close up here. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Thank you for listening, everybody. Hope you have a wonderful day. <laughs>